What up, what up? Welcome into a new edition of Green with Envy. And today is a very, very special loaded show. As always, it's your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me as he does each and every time, best friend, co-host, and coach of the podcast, Greg Manakis. What's going on, man? What's good, bro? Full house today. I'm super excited to have our two guests with us. Um, one of the guys, though, we can't really call him a, a guest anymore. No, we got some big news coming here, and you know this next guy. He's our podcasting cousin from across the pond. Coming on, as you're going to see on Celtics blog, you're going to see it on the feed. Joining us here as a full-time partner and co-host, the one and only Adam Taylor. What's up, Taylor gang? What's up, man? I'm happy to reunite this three-man weave. It's been, a, it's been, what, about six months since we stopped, and I, I missed y'all too much, man. I had to come back. Had to get the band back together. Can't keep us down. We're going to have a lot more on the three of us and what we have coming and what we have planned. we got to iron out a few final details here, and we'll get you all of that goodness. But for today, we wanted to preview the Boston Celtics against the surging Sacramento Kings, and we couldn't think of anybody better to do it with than our guy, Brendan Nunez. What's up, Brendan? What's up, people? Thanks for having me on. Uh, is Taylor getting a Wiz Khalifa reference, by the way? Oh, 1,000%. 100%. I used it the first uh, back and I used it several, you know, maybe like a year ago or so with Adam. I thought about it and I was like, oh, that's really great. I wonder if Adam's going to get it. Adam immediately got it and then shared with me. He plays this song for his family when they go on vacations to get them hyped. And I think it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, you have to, right? We're we're a group of tailors. More than two is technically a gang. Put us in the car. It's got. It has to be the tune on the way to the airport, on the way to the cinema, to the restaurant. Taylor Gang, baby. Yeah, you ain't lying. You got it down here, and Brendan. We're pumped to have you on here, man. And you know, right now, I, I think back one of the last times that we had you on with just myself and Greg. It was right before the Celtics took off last season, and we almost did like a co-therapy type of thing where hey, we at, at the sympathize time. with me, which <laughs> like, let's be real here. I don't know. It, it, in retrospect, it feels mean, but the tables have turned. The Kings are having an amazing season. You're, you're two seed Sacramento Kings. Like that still sounds so weird. So let's just let's just start here. Then we can kind of open it up wherever we want to go. What has what's the biggest difference with this Kings team that's been besides the Nuggets easily probably the most consistent team in the entire Western Conference? They're the best offense of all time, which is, you know, feels weird to even say. And I think the biggest difference that stands out to me is probably the coaching. You know, I I don't Luke Walton gets a lot of crap and I understand why people were not fans. He also had some weird hiccups with choosing his supporting staff next to him. I don't think that he was allowed to necessarily do that and, and made for some weird things. Then it's Alvin Gentry last year after like 14, 17 games, something like that. You're giving up on a coach that early. You probably didn't believe that much in the first place. So there's a long-term commitment right now to Mike Brown, and he has just been a breath of fresh air from the second he came in the door, man. He, he laid out a handful of things coming from cultures like Golden State like San Antonio, like those are the two places in my mind, at least being somebody that focuses more on the West coast that you think of when you think of good culture. And I know it's 18 and 52 uh, when it comes to the San Antonio Spurs right now, but I still think of those two places as good cultures. And Sacramento was 
the worst culture you could think of. They were the team that was always in the dumpsters. They were the Kangs. And it was deserved, to be honest. So I think the coaching staff coming in and instilling this accountability on the entire staff um, from from top to bottom, everybody on the staff, everybody on the roster, and then just also the sense of belief, you know. And then when it comes to the roster, obviously um, trading Tyrese Halliburton for Demonis Sabonis was a big switch last year. And you saw right away that Sabonis and De'Aaron were going to click. But I think getting shooting around them was so essential specifically for De'Aaron, but also for, for Demonis Sabonis that getting Kevin Herter, getting Keegan Murray, getting Malik Monk, like 40% three-point shooters is so essential for those guys that really are looking to thrive in the paint. So it's been all offense. There are substantial changes to the roster, but to me, it's the coaching staff that really stands out. Now, you mentioned accountability. One of the guys that this year seems to have held himself accountable for his play is the superstar of the team, uh, De'Aaron Fox. So what are you seeing out of Fox and what should Celtics fans be looking forward to um, when they see De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter as the Celtics are blowing another big lead and the Kings are probably going to be coming back for the victory? Yeah, they should probably just be ready to watch straight buckets, man. I don't know. In the fourth quarter, he just goes and gets it, man. Like... It's get out of the way. This is my time. And everybody else on the team knows that and is okay with it. And Coach Brown is convinced that he could do it for the whole game, actually. And he he said the other day in media that if I can get him to do it for the whole game, this guy can be elite, elite. And again, this guy's been around Tim Duncan, Steph Curry, like, and he's talking about him in that sort of light. So I really think that De'Aaron is that guy when, when he has it turned on that – there's really not many in the league that can stop him. He he has said that length is kind of what bothers him. I think that Golden State and or I'm sorry that Boston and Milwaukee are the two teams that stand out to me as probably the toughest matchups for the Celtics before the Kings because they don't have great size to really match that. You know, the one thing that the Kings are missing is wings and Boston is full of that. Milwaukee's full of that. So that does stand out to me. But when it comes to De'Aaron, man, it's just his change of pace. Obviously, like talked about as the fastest guy in the league, but able to turn on and off that speed at any given moment really stands out. He's got the handle to go with it. So a whole lot of mid-range, a lot of floaters. And when he does get to the basket, it's going to be crazy finishes. I think he's flirting with 80% at the rim. Last I checked, he was finishing at the rim better than Giannis, Jokic, and LeBron which is crazy. Obviously not the same amount of attempts at the rim, but finishing better than those guys when you're 6'3 is ridiculous. Now, you mentioned wings. We're going to go a little bit of a Kings deep cut pretty early in the pod here. One of the guys that's been getting a little bit more time lately is Edwards, right? So do you think that him being a part of the rotation now is them looking forward to the playoffs, knowing that they're going to need a little bit more size and length? Because I always liked him, even when I think he was on the Nets, right, for a little bit. And I always liked when he got in the game. I thought he guarded Tatum and Brown well in the, in the small uh, amount of time in which he did it. Um, so what have you noticed from him? And is it too early in the pod to be talking about Kessler Edwards? It's never too early to talk about Kessler Edwards. I am a Kessler Edwards guy for sure. I think that it's similar, like the beginning of the year, KZ Arpaola was starting on this team. And they lost their first four games that KZ was starting, I will say, longest losing streak of the season. But Coach Brown is known as a defensive coach, right? Which is part of why this season is so shocking, because they're doing it all on the offensive end. And that's a credit to him to being able to sort of 
maneuver and change his style based on the roster strengths. But I think a lot of Kessler Edwards seeing playing time is they needed a defending wing and they haven't really had that. They've tried it with Keegan Murray, um, but it hasn't really happened. And Kessler can defend in the way that you kind of pointed out six, eight, he's got a seven foot or close to seven foot wingspan. And it's somebody that you can put on those wings. We've seen him on Anthony Edwards do a good job. We've seen him on Devin Booker do a good job. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him on some of these these bigger guys, uh, Jalen Brown, or if they'll put him on Jason Tatum. But he's starting right now because Kevin Herter's out. But I, I do think that he is a part of the rotation as long as his offense can stay enough. You know, he's out there for defense, so he just has to do enough on offense. He's confident shooting the ball. And as long as it's going down at an okay rate, I do think he's part of the rotation, but I don't think that it's more than like a 15-a-minute type of guy typically if Kevin Herter was available. So the Celtics this season have been... Right, man. So I think one of the biggest ways to attack Boston this season is to really pressure, like as a defensive team, is to really pressure their ball handlers up high. Like just pick up points, don't switch too much, and just try and speed up their decision-making. You, obviously, you're saying Brown's a, a defensive coach. I'm just wondering what's, what type of defensive scheme will Boston be coming up against? Yeah, they're doing a lot of just kind of Sabonis being at the level. Um, Sacramento's doing all of their work offensively, really. So they're 25th last I checked. That might be a couple games outdated, but they were 25th in defense last I had checked. So they are pretty bad on the defensive end, but it's a lot of Sabonis being at the level. Um, they are very big on ball pressure, but it kind of wanes and wearies. In the fourth quarter, you will definitely see ball pressure close to full court. Um, specifically, like when Davion Mitchell's out there, Davion's only playing something like 15 minutes a night. So he'll be out there ball pressuring. Um, but aside from that, it's a no middle defense, trying to keep guys out of the paint, and then a lot of rotations. So all it takes is one person to kind of mess everything up. But um, yeah, like I said, at the level when it comes to screens with Sabonis, when they go to their backup big with Chemezi Metu, it'll be switching one to five pretty much. And then from there, just a lot of rotations, keeping everybody out of the middle and really trying to make sure to to grab those boards as well. Brendan, I've got some uh, I've got some good news for you here. I just looked it up. The Kings have skyrocketed to 24th in defense. Let's go. So things are looking up for the Kings. But 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 for real, when, when I look at the Kings, you know, I feel like some people are kind of looking at them as, oh, it's a nice story. I mean, I think in recent weeks, and I started to see this playing out, especially with everything happening in Memphis, and you really look at, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Durant and, you know, Phoenix when, when he comes back. They're certainly going to be formidable. But the rest of the West is kind of just like, I know everyone's fascinated with its, you know, two games apart from, you know, five through 13, whatever it keeps changing every day. But it's all really kind of mediocre. Like, I do think this is set up for the Kings to make a run. But as we're talking about their defense, is that going to be what stops this team? Is that the next level for this team looking ahead to, you know, the core that they have, which is relatively young, say for Harrison Barnes, who's actually not as old as people may think. And, you know, is that just kind of like the, the, the future building block or are they going to be able to maybe scrap together enough defense and actually turn this from like a night story and really make, you know, a run in the Western Conference? I think the absolute ceiling we're talking about is Western Conference finals. And I think that's only on the right day with the right matchups type of thing. Like, I, I think that I've come to the point right around all-star break. If you would have asked me, I would have said, I still am unsure if this team gets out of the first round, but they're playing phenomenal. I think they're 11 and two post all-star break. They're probably the best team in the league post all-star break, which is ridiculous that I get to sit here and say that. But I do think that their defense is going to be their downfall. 
You know, it, it kind of stands out to me like Atlanta a couple years ago. They were similar, not best offense of all time, but they were a team that was carried by their offense. And there's a year where they're out in the first round, Miami 4-1 to last year. Year prior, they get to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? So I, I think that's sort of the same range that we're talking about with this Kings team where you just can't find consistency when you're only an offensive team. Sometimes shots are not going to fall. And I think that's what it comes down to. Like, I think defensively is where teams can find their consistency. So I think there's a chance they get Western Conference Finals. But if we're talking about Denver, we're talking about Phoenix, you got to be able to get stops. And I don't think Sacramento's there right now. So do you think that's just a product of personnel? Is it scheme? Like who, if, if you had to go to five guys that are going to get you a stop, what's your dream defensive lineup for the Kings? That's a tough question. Um, <laughs> Kessler Edwards I, on the court. We know that. Absolutely. Kessler now, Edwards. Now just find four more. That's all. No, it should be pretty simple. Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell belongs on the floor. Shout out to Off Night. And that's probably it. Can I just like clone them and try to <laughs> put a couple more of those guys out there? Well, I've seen Fox like get frisky. You know, he can Fox guard and can isolation. be a good defender. Yes. When he, when he locks in, I do think that he is a good defender. It's just that you don't see that the entire game, which I think is kind of understandable. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that De'Aaron can be a good defender. And then it's probably Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes. And then you probably put DeMontis Sabonis. I think his best defensive skill is his rebounding. He's leading the league in rebounds. But that is extremely important just to close out a possession. So it's probably De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes. Actually, okay, I'll take Keegan out and put Kessler Edwards and then DeMontis Sabonis. Okay. So I, I feel like in the in the matchup with the Celtics, the one guy that hopefully the Celtics target is Malik Monk when he's on the court. What have you seen from the, the King scheme to help um, scram him out of mismatches and cover for his just lack of size on, on the perimeter? Yeah, I think sometimes they'll just try to show with him rather than completely switching him on to guys. But at times they'll still do that. And I think that there's moments that they're okay with allowing isolation buckets rather than teams going to their plays. You know, like if it means it's going to be iso ball, then so be it because we're going to score on the other end type of thing. Um, so I think they will probably attack Malik. If Kevin Herter is playing, I think they'll attack him as well. We've seen that a lot. So I, I think that they do try to show with those guys or if they do end up doubling or if they do end up switching, they'll end up doubling after a couple dribbles sort of thing. Is the so, so when teams go at Herder, and we've seen this a lot with the Celtics with Sam Hauser, is it just the white guy effect? Is it just the white guy on the court? Let's 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 go hunt, go mismatch hunting, and and take down the white guys. Is because that's what we feel. It's very much that way with Sam Hauser, and he's at times surprisingly held up better than you would think. So I'm curious to know how that's how that's worked with Herder. Yeah, I guess you could say it's the white guy effect, or it's the <laughs> fact that he just is not a good defender. That you could know, also it's a little be, bit of both. Be, they yeah. they kind of go hand in hand, right? So. It's a little bit of both, but Herter definitely gets attacked out there. And I thought Herter was a better defender than I think he's shown to be just kind of going through some of his Atlanta tape when Sacramento first traded for him. So he, he's not horrible out there or anything. Malik is probably the one that stands out as like a for sure liability, but but Kevin is not too far off. Again, this whole Kings team is straight up horrible on defense. Like I, I'm not trying to overplay that at all they are atrocious on defense but then they will do things on offense i guess to make up for it which can drive you crazy sometimes but it is really night and day watching each side of the floor with this team 
First things I want to say is you're going to have to deal if the Celtics are healthy. You've got two. You've got a starting five, and then you've got three other guys that could probably be a starter on nearly every team in the league. So y'all are getting cooked on defense. Like there's no way around that. You're just going to get smoked. Um, it's a two way street. It's a two way street. Uh, so you know. Right, Boston keep giving up runs, dude. Like they gave up a 19 point lead against Utah. They gave up a million point lead against every other team in the league over the last seven games. One thing that they've really been struggling with is containing penetration. And I, last time I watched the Kings, I went through a little phase of watching some sack games. And you guys were running a bunch of like Sabonis elbow DHOs, right? So, and then you'd either have him pop out behind the free, behind the free, or then kind of roll into like a veer screen to spring someone else free. Are you guys still running that sort of thing? Because that's going to give Boston absolute nightmares if Robert Williams isn't in the game. Yes, they've definitely been running the same. It's a lot of split cuts. It's a lot of going to Domas and then guys either splits either from the corner or from the top. Um, so you'll you'll see a lot of that. And and when I hear you say that they struggle with dribble penetration, like all day for the Kings. De'Aaron Fox specifically, like that guy is the king of dribble penetration in my mind and and is great in that aspect. Domas can also fake those handoffs and then get into the paint. So uh, Robert Williams being there or not, I, I, th- I do think will be a big difference. And that's just one of the things the Kings are great at. You know, they're trying to deny paint touches on the other end and get as many as they can on their own. How how much impact has, has Domas had on this team? Because I know, obviously, Tyrese Halliburton, you know, personally was kind of your boy. You were kind of building a relationship with Tyrese as he was with the entire city of Sacramento that like you talked about. And, you know, I feel like the Kings kind of got beat up on a little bit for that trade last year and you know Sabonis is a guy that I've always liked I'm I'm not gonna I can't I can't deny I did theorize finding a way to trade Robert Williams for him I did I did suggest that at one point last year I mean the fact that he went for Tyrese Halliburton shows you know kind of where his value's at but like what what has him being on this team for a full season because obviously it's tough you know middle of the trade deadline to really come in and King's record wasn't really in a position to make a run last year but having him for a full season this year what has been you know the impact that you've been able to see from Sabonis? He does all the little things amazingly. Like I'm convinced this man's just a basketball genius. It's <laughs> it's the rebounding, it's the screen assists, it's the way that he does DHOs. He'll probably do it at least once in this Boston game. It's not just normal DHOs. Like he'll do behind the back. Just it looks like he's just messing around out there. I mean, him and he him, is, he's easily the second best passing big man besides Jokic, who's he's who's, who's, who's transcendent. But suppose right. is right there. He's right there, and it is so phenomenal having a passing big like that. It was really funny. I was just at March Madness and got to watch Princeton, and Princeton has been on their amazing run. But Sacramento runs a Princeton offense, and to see Princeton attempting to run it, maybe attempting is a disrespectful <laughs> word, but I like it doesn't look better. I like the disrespect. I think that's perfect. <laughs> it's just I, this is why I can never get into college basketball. It's just a mess out there, but. I think that Sacramento does a great job of doing that and having a passing big is so essential to that. But it's just all the little things, man. You saw right away when they traded for him last year how it was going to work. Like he comes in and, you know, you could you could sit and say like, oh, his and Herder's two-man game is amazing. And it is. Like I think Kevin Herder had 17 points in the fourth quarter the other day on four dribbles on some Clay Thompson stuff, right? But that doesn't happen without DeMontis Sabonis. And he's running a two-man game almost eerily similar to a – Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo type of two-man game, right? When Duncan was actually playing and good. But <laughs> it, it's just all the little things with Domas, and I think it's so important for this team. You could see right away that it was going to click. 
I mentioned like him and Kevin Hurd's two man game. You could say the same thing about Malik Monk. You could say the same thing about De'Aaron Fox. And it's like, okay, if everybody has a good two man game with DeMontis Sabonis, that's just because he makes all of his teammates better. And I, I think he's been so essential to this team in doing all the little things, all the details. I guess he's barely trailing Anthony Davis now in rebounds. But when you're putting up 19, 12 and a half and seven, like it's ridiculous. You'll look up at the end of the first quarter. He'll have eight, five and five like it's nothing. And, and that's just a normal quarter for the guy. I got to ask you this. Is this a compliment or a diss? Because I've heard this thrown out there a bunch of times with Sabonis, people calling him a discount Jokic. I don't know either. It's a good question. Like, I tend to just be like, he—he's his own person, you know. But a discount, a <laughs> discount, back to back MVP, a discount back to back MVP is is fine. And I don't know, like, discount is is the issue that I have with that comp, right? Discount is downplaying Domas. So if there's an S version of that player, it's Jokic. But they're the A version is still Sabonis. You know, this guy is still an all-star. So I don't know if discount is the right word, but I, I definitely mean, understand some, where people are coming from. I've got some fire things on discount over the years, man. I, <laughs> like, and it's always brand named. Like Discount just means I got he's not being paid as much. That's the way I'd read into it. Like, Which is fair enough. I'm not calling him semi-functional Yoki. He's, uh, he's, 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 he's the marshals of, uh, of the NBA. Yeah, <laughs> or, the, or the TJ Maxx, right? Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. I kind of view TJ Maxx just that little bit above Marshalls. Like uh, I went to both when I was in Boston, and I found that TJ Maxx was just that slightly bit better. Yeah, Sorry, and, vibe. no, you're totally fine. And sure, it, if Domas is a discount that happened to hit way harder than you thought it would, then I'm good with the wording. Can I get an update on uh, on Keegan Murray? So Keegan Murray is a guy that Greg and I, I believe, I believe Greg and I both picked him as kind of our rookie of the year candidate going into going into the season. Uh, I know, obviously, at this point, you know that's Paolo's award. Paolo is gonna gonna go ahead and take that. But Keegan still had a really nice year. Where is his development at in year one? Yeah, I think that I was very critical of the Keegan Murray pick, but admittedly have been wrong and a lot of that has to do with I didn't think the team around him was as good as they clearly have been so he's been a phenomenal shooter and he's been challenged a lot by the coaching staff to to be more than that and I think there's moments we see it there's moments we see him being very active on the boards like it's always the corner guys that are quote-unquote in the crash zone right offensively and those guys are are going to get in boards and we saw right after coach brown called him out about doing that there was a game he had zero rebounds Coach Brown calls him out for his rebounding, and he becomes a phenomenal rebounder. And then that's kind of strayed maybe a little bit. He's still okay in that aspect. But a lot of Keegan Murray right now is shooting, and you won't see him put the ball on the floor all too much and finish. He, he plays with it a little more than he did at the beginning of the year, but it's shooting. And then he will draw some pretty tough defensive assignments. Like I said, they'll put him on on Devin Booker, on Anthony Edwards, and, and eventually end up probably going to Kessler Edwards or somebody else. but. There's nights that he does okay in that aspect. So he's not doing anything flashy. The comparison that he's had for himself since he came in the league is Chris Middleton. And yeah. when when he has his moments, you see that. But more often than not, he's kind of more of a spot up and take the open shot if it's there. And he'll knock it down. His jumper's absolutely cash. But outside of that right now, there is not – too much there it's just sort of slowly being developed 
I love a good player comp. So if he's saying Chris Middleton, who do you see when you see when you watch Keegan Murray play? So the ceiling, I do, I really do actually see Chris Middleton. You know, like there's not many guys that are that size, and he probably even has more size than Chris Middleton that are able to knock down shots at that rate. Like that is the one that that stands out to me. After that, I don't really know. Like maybe like a Dorian Finney-Smith but he's not even quite that defender. I think ideally he develops into that, but Chris Middleton is definitely the one that stands out at the front of my mind. And again, he's so far from there. And Chris Middleton actually was in town the other day and got asked about it. And he was talking about how much further along Keegan is in his rookie year than, than Chris was, you know? So I think that's the long-term comp that stands out to me when it comes to right now, it's a little tough it's almost like early mikhail bridges i was just gonna say that that was the the name i was just gonna throw out there that's what i see when i see keegan murray i see a lot of mikhail bridges i I think part of it is the body type you know they've got a a similar stroke from from distance as well um the defense is way different just to be clear he'll never be mikhail defensively well you know what's interesting when you watch the nets now with bridges on the nets he's not because he's the main offensive option he's not really bringing it quite as much on defense um so i'm wondering if there's just like a world in which keegan murray if he's solely focused on being that you know defensive stopper what his ceiling is i don't know if you could speak to that at all he's probably not going to be a kessler edwards but you know we'll see what he could be how many people can be a kessler edwards to be fair that's why he's such a unique breed you know that's why the Kings were able to trade for him for literally nothing, by the way, which is kind of crazy. But they made money in that deal. It makes no <laughs> sense in my mind, but I'll take it, I guess. Brooklyn didn't make a lot of sense for most things they did, to be fair. So defensively, when it comes to Keegan, like I said, I, I think they will give him the tough assignments. They tend to put him on guards a bit more. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one assigned to, excuse me, to Jalen Brown. That would kind of be what I expect and then Harrison on on Jason Tatum but we'll see how they end up going about that and you know they have high expectations for him on that end but he hasn't been great there I, I think that specifically navigating screens he can really struggle to do that and I think physicality has been a big adjustment for him recently I think that's been a theme for this Sacramento team recently post all-star break there was that game they had on TNT against the Knicks where they won that game but allowed 23 offensive rebounds. And Coach Brown came out in the presser and lit his team up. And after a game, they just won. And Keegan is a guy that stood out to me in that aspect. He played the other day. Shoot, I'm, I'm forgetting what team it's against. He got pulled after 90 seconds in the first half because he fouled, took a bad shot, and allowed an offensive rebound. And then they went in a different direction. They went with Kessler Edwards. So he's actually seen his minutes kind of diminished recently and he has a short leash and and that's been very clear and and coaching staff has been blunt about that the entire time so defensively is definitely where he has his struggles I think a lot of it has to do with physicality and just getting used to the NBA game the potential's there to be a good defender but I don't think he was ever looked at at the time of the draft even as somebody that was like going to be a stopper on the defensive end so potential's there they have high expectations but as of right now especially recently, admittedly, he's he fouls a lot. And I think physicality can bother him, but he'll draw a tough assignment early. And it's just about, are they going to keep him there? Are they going to go in a different direction? So I'm curious, we spoke about the Kings a bunch because it's the Kings preview, but now I want your opinion on the Celtics. I want your opinion on what's been going on since the All-Star break, what your level of fear is coming into the game. 
how excited you are to see Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who was your best friend when he retweeted you a few years back. I, I just want to know all of this, man. I want to know how you're feeling coming into a team that you secretly adore, but never show it in your online persona, which is sacrilege, not, by the way. I'm not supposed to, man. I, I When I first started doing my King stuff, I got a lot of crap from Celtics or for being a, like, I guess, closeted Celtics fan. I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I grew up loving the Celtics and I will say like, that's probably the only time I'm going to go to an opposing team shoot around is when Sacramento or when the Kings, damn, when Boston <laughs> is in town the other day. So I, I'm looking forward to that. And just like being around players, I guess you get a little, not numb to it, but, you're just you're just in your moment, you know, and you're you're focused on what's going on. And I try not to freak out too much. I know Adam, you were talking about like when Braun talked to you, right? When you were at the Lakers Celtics game, that that was a moment for you. My first moment last year for sure was when the Celtics were in town, and I walked past Tatum, and I just was internally kind of being like, oh man, like this was my guy. Like, this is crazy right now. The little so kid in I'm, you was kind of like, was like, oh my yes. God, it's happening. <laughs> and I got to keep that to myself. Nobody, nobody in Kings media can know that, you know, but yes, these, these guys definitely, it, it just feels different for me because this is the team I grew up loving. Marcus is my guy. Same with Jalen and Jason. So it, it's always good. Uh, it's always fun when they're in town for sure. I will say post all-star break, obviously been struggling. And the biggest standout to me looking at this through purple colored glasses is Missoula was my other guy where it's like, okay, maybe coach Brown doesn't win coach of the year because Missoula had a lot of stuff going on. Obviously got the job last minute. I'm off that. I'm off that. It's all coach Brown's award at this point. So I, I'm curious from your guys' perspective, what has led to this collapse and also curious why Scalabrini was the guy that Zach Lowe got on his pod, by the way, I feel like there's other options there. No hate on Scal. No hate on Scout. It's okay. You can hate on Scout a little bit. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I just thought there were better options, but I guess Scout's take was it just being an effort thing. Like they, they got to turn it on. They got to be locked in the entire game and like want to play defense, which, you know, 80% of defense is effort, but the Kings try their, their butts off. I don't, I don't know how much I got to watch my language. You, 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 you can us. It's fine. The You're Kings good. try their ass off on defense. They still <laughs> suck ass. So <laughs> that's where it's at. Like you could say a lot of it has to do with effort if you have the personnel, which Boston does have the personnel, which I think is why it gets pointed to that more often. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'm curious where you guys are at on what has led to this slowdown post All-Star break. Well, that was a really interesting interview that uh, Zach Lowe did with Scalabrini because he's a big-time homer on broadcast to the point where like, I literally can't listen to Celtics broadcast anymore. I don't listen to them. I listen to the Way broadcast on NBA League Pass. Um, and just hearing him kind of not go at the team, but he was definitely calling them out a little bit on that pod saying they just like don't try hard enough and they think that they're going to be able to flip that switch. What stood out to me was in the comments that you were making about Mike Brown, right? If we're going to do the A and B comparison between Mike Brown and Joe Missoula right now, like there's accountability in the huddles. Like when you hear the clips from Missoula, he's on his guys and he's telling them like they need to play the right way. Like these are the habits that lead to winning. And when we move the ball, when we make the extra pass. There have been many clips that have circled where I'm like, oh, I actually like the message that he's delivering in the huddle. And I, I went to a couple games and I saw him chew people out on the court. 
But what I'm not seeing is that like immediate hook. You know, it's easier to do that with a rookie than an established veteran. But like, I would like to see that a little bit more. If, if a guy's not giving effort, if a guy's not following the game plan, just like take him out for a little bit and just be like, hey, if, if you're not going to give me the effort right now, like you, you'll get back in the game, but let's put somebody else in the game right now that's going to give a little bit more effort because we have the depth as a team. But Missoula, man, like, I don't know. Most Celtics fans are out on him at this point. Um, I don't, I don't know any Celtics fans personally that still believe in what Missoula is doing, which is very concerning. Um, I'll, I'll let Will and Adam jump in on that, but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just like, this guy may be in, in over his head and he's not learning the lessons fast enough to get this team ready for the playoffs. Did that happen fast? Was that always, were people always kind of teetering? Nah, dude, this was, that was, hey, we're really happy with you. And then you get the job full time and now you're trash. And I think what's happened is as well for me, I think Greg hit it on the head with, he hasn't learned his lessons quickly enough, but he's also just like really, really rigid in the way he approaches the game. So his offensive system doesn't change. We're going to spam the Spain pick and roll. We're going to spam horns actions and chin actions, regardless of if they work, regardless of if they don't. If the team figures out how to defend it, we're not changing anything. Defensively, he hasn't settled on a system. One minute, they'll switch one through four with five in drops. The next, they'll be up to the level. Next, it'll be rotations. Then they'll switch one through five. The big man rotations is in that utter shambles. Um, I just think that, as the season's gone on, he's slowly lost kind of grasp of what he was trying to do. Maybe he's lost a little bit of the locker room. It's very easy to play well for a coach that is only there for a short period of time. I'm not sure. Like for me, and this is me just throwing out something like it feels like he got made head coach. And then all of a sudden the players realize like, Oh damn, we got this guy for a while and their plays kind of started to be affected because it's just not going well. Dude. Yeah, and I have a, you know, you said he's kind of a rigid coach, Adam. I have a, a theory that I've been growing here, Brendan, that I think Joe Mazzulla is just actually a robot impersonating how a human's supposed to act. Because uh, if you've heard any of his pressers, he's just, he, he, he number one, he, whenever he does attempt humor, it's so bad. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's like he's heard a joke and he's like, oh, this is how I should try to act as a human. And I think that kind of plays into a little bit of of his coaching style. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting ride with Joe Missoula. And I think Greg and Adam have hit on a lot of those reasons. One extra thing that I'll throw in as far as where the Celtics are at, especially you know over the last you know 20 games or whatever it is, where the Celtics are now the three seed as we're recording this, have dropped down to that three seed. And... This is really, you know, this is not nearly close enough to the main reason. This is a very small thing. But honestly, like right now, Jalen Brown's been playing better than than Jason Tatum over the last, I don't know if it's 15 games. I don't know where we're at right now if you want to, you know, decipher that or draw that line in the sand. But Tatum needs to be a top five guy. Like that's what makes this team overall, like when you look at the true championship contenders, like part of what sets the Celtics apart is not just the depth, it's that they have the, that depth at the top and that they have a top five guy and they have a top 15 to 20 guy in Jalen Brown. And right now over this stretch where the Celtics are struggling, they have two top 20-ish guys, which is not bad. You know, obviously a lot of teams would be really happy with that. But when you're talking about championships, that's just not the level that Tatum's been at over the last, you know, X amount of games. And that makes a really big difference when you're seeing you know the way that you just had the bucks in town in sacramento you saw the way that they're playing the way that the sixers are playing right now like those teams are going to another level and the celtics are kind of 
going in reverse a little bit at the wrong time. Not to mean it can't be corrected, but it's just another element that's added to the struggles. I think that's a great point. Well, Brennan, I want to ask you this question because I think this will kind of like um, crystallize how we feel about the Celtics, especially at the end of games. In the last five minutes of a Sacramento Kings basketball game, what do you expect to see? I expect to see De'Aaron Fox go and get buckets. I expect him to hunt out a certain matchup and knock down mid-range jumpers to his heart's consent. Will and Adam, at the last five minutes of the Boston Celtics game, what do you expect to see? A collapse. <laughs> I expect to see some bad shots go up. That's that's probably my number one thing. I expect to see a lot of contested jump shots at the end of the shot clock go up. That's what I'm. So, like, that's what I'm expecting. Th- Exactly. Right. So there are a couple things here. One is like maybe that's a little bit of a team understanding its identity, like get the ball to Darren Fox Two, And like that's a game plan Two, It's like Darren Fox has become the man in the last five minutes and you know he's going to get you buckets. I don't feel confident in Tatum in the last five minutes of a game right now. And I haven't felt confident in him this year in the last five minutes of a game. And we almost never go to Jalen Brown down the stretch, like almost never. And the last like five end of game situations, Missoula's just literally run the same play. Last night he flipped it to the other side of the court, which was cool. Um, but like that's all we've seen. We run the same exact play where we have Tatum in the backcourt. We pass it to somebody coming up to the to the ball, and we try to do some sort of dribble handoff. And we have yet to run something that kind of deviates from that. The one exception to that, they were in the same format. Uh, a couple games ago, they gave it to Jalen Brown on the baseline, and he went baseline to, I think, tie the game with like eight seconds left. Um, so like we're always in that formation. But at the, the last five minutes of a game, the Celtics don't have a guy that they can get reliable buckets out of, and we don't have a game plan. And the Kings seemingly have both. I just want to say that. Alive. I just want to say that the title of this episode should be if Joe Mazzula is if Chat GPT was a basketball coach. <laughs> like, I just think that needs to be the title. Like if GPT was a basketball coach, you're getting Joe Mazzula. It's just the same iterations, dude. And you said identity. That's something I kind of wrote about the other day. And like Sacramento, when it, when times get tough, you lean on that DeMontis Sabonis, the Aaron Fox pairing. You know that there's actions there that you can keep going to and find success with. Last year, when things got tough for Boston, it was, hey, we can always rely on our defense. We can make it tough to score against us and give us a chance to score on the break. This year, when things get tough, all they've got to rely on is let's shoot more freeze. And uh, I'm not down for that, man. I I genuinely think they're shooting too many. I don't think all of them are great looks. And I just don't think... I think asking Tatum and Brown to be nothing but three-point shooters is a terrible, terrible coaching style. Because these are two three-level scorers that can get to the rim at will, create their shot off the dribble, crumb off screens and score that way. And we're just seeing them used as like off the dribble three-point guys and then wondering why it's not working. It's just ludicrous to me. Brendan, I, I got to ask you, man, what world have we moved into? What what part of the multiverse are we in right now that myself, Greg, and Adam are speaking this way about the Celtics? And this entire podcast has just been giving the Kings flowers upon flowers upon flowers. Where are we right now? How do we end up here? Beautiful time to be alive, man. I'm I'm so glad to be here, actually. This is very different than anything I'm used to. The fact that I get to sit here and just hear that the Kings are know what to do in the fourth quarter and the Celtics don't like what is happening, man. This is, this is a different time than anything I've ever experienced. So I think it's great, man. And I will say I'm super happy for this fan base. 
it's been 16 years yeah. since they've seen playoff basketball. That's wild. Longest, I think it's the longest drought in, in American professional sports right now yeah. is the Sacramento Kings not being in the playoffs. And, and it's crazy because we we all grew up thinking of those, and we've talked about this other times even on the pod, the Peja teams, the C-Web, Bibby, Diva, and those crowds were nuts. You think about them against the Lakers and, of course, those, you know, those, um, those fabled series and – you know, that crowd is so into it. And that actually brings me to one of the last questions that I want to ask you here, because one of the biggest stories in the NBA this year, light the beam. Brendan, when are we going to see you light the beam? What's it going to take <laughs> for you to get out there and light the beam? How can we make that happen? Let's let's, let's start brainstorming here. I don't know if we can, man. If you could figure it out, if you could talk to the right people, I can give you certain contacts and you could put in <laughs> words for me. I appreciate you. But I, I don't know if that'll happen, but that, that thing is getting lit a lot, man. And it's a ballsy decision, by the way. Like, imagine if this team won 30 games, but they lit a beam after each win. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be crazy. They, 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 they so manifested this that. season by going all – because did, so did they start doing it game – like the first game they won, or when did they roll out yeah, the beam? They, they started the first game they won. They lost their first four games. By the way, longest losing streak of the season. The only time they've lost more than two games in a row all year were the first four games of the season. And then fifth game, they decide to light the beam. And it's here to stay, by the way. It's not just a season thing. It This is a long-term thing, which I don't know if I agree with. I kind of like the idea of it being tied to this one specific special season, but it'll still be tied to it as the first year of the beam team and all that. So... It's been great, man. And the crowd is phenomenal. You know, I, I'm there at all, all these home games, so maybe I get too accustomed to it. But often I'm looking over, I'm like, man, this place is freaking loud right now. It, the, the fan base is phenomenal, man. And it's got to be. There's no bandwagon. I guess now there is bandwagon Kings fans, which is crazy <laughs> to say. But prior to that, like that never existed. Everybody that was, they were selling out this stadium when they were trash. Like th- this fan base has been phenomenal, man. When you hear it popping on broadcasts, like it's even more phenomenal in person. The the fan base is so amazing and it's extremely well-deserved. And also like De'Aaron Fox is the standout to me when he he's the longest tenured player on the Kings. I'm pretty sure he, he's Harrison Barnes is up there as well. But Harrison came, I think, year two or three into De'Aaron. And this has got to be so validating for De'Aaron, man. Last two years, he thought he could get traded at the trade deadline, but he's always been so committed to Sacramento, says that he wants to be here. He wants winning basketball here. Like It would be more validating than anything to win something here after everything they've been through, and he's getting to experience that right now. This is this has got to be so validating, validating for De'Aaron. Yeah, this team is hella Sorry. fun. But yeah, no, go ahead, Adam. We'll get, we'll get a couple more to... questions here for our guy and get him. You said out. hello, by the way. I uh, do. I'm trying to get my Cali vibes out here. I love man. it. I, I love yeah, it. I knew yeah, the Cali thing, man. I was just gonna slide <laughs> that right in there. See if you caught it. Yeah, he pulled me up for saying that before. So I was like, "What do you know about hella?" Um, I just wanted to know how visible's the beam. Very. They made it. They made it uh, darker. I don't know what the right term is, but they made it more visible. I can see it from my apartment. I'm only like 10 minutes from the stadium, but I can see it from here, man. It is. It lights up the sky and shit. Does it like turn it like purple? No, I mean like, so it goes up to a certain extent. They had to stay within FDA regulations. Actually, there was definitely (laughs) a whole conversation they had to have with the FDA and make sure they're not messing with planes or anything like that. So yes, they, you, when you look up to the point where it probably fully goes to, there is kind of like an aura around it, I guess. 
but it's pretty much just a straight line that goes up. It's not like you walk out and the entire sky is purple or anything like that. It's pretty cool though. I, I, I am guilty of downplaying it sometimes because some people talk about it like you could see it from forever away. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's calm down a little bit. That's not quite true. But like I got it on my background on my screensaver. It's kind of badass. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm definitely beam team here. I think, uh, you know, I, I think the beam's awesome, man. Like you said, it's here to stay. I'm excited for the playoff run that you guys got coming up. Playoff basketball back in Sacramento. Been way too long. Uh, Greg, any other, any last questions for our guy here before we let him go? Nah, I got, I got nothing. Adam, anything? All right, Brendan, hey, real quick before we let you go, man, just let people know. I know you're killing it on the podcast. Yeah, I know you're in the – love seeing you in arena now, man. I love when you have to find like a little crevice inside the arena. I've seen some of your clips where you're doing some of your podcasting right after the game. So just let people know where they can catch your coverage if they're looking for some secret Celtics coverage mixed in with some Kings. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. It's um, yeah, a little bit of secret Celtics coverage. You're not wrong there. <laughs> so it's uh, Kings Pulse and at Brendan Nunez NBA on, on Twitter. So – appreciate it and just shout to you guys you know three of my favorite people when it comes to also covering different sports adam is my guy for long term so yeah glad like, to one of your favorite this people, pod. Period. not one of not one of you are my favorite person i, I should be i should yeah. be agreed <laughs> i love you agreed so no i just want to give shouts to you guys i think you guys do a great job with all this so and glad that adam is is coming on board it'd be a good thing for you guys yeah, man, it's been a good day. Appreciate you, my guy. That's going to do it for this episode of Green with Envy. Shout out to our guy, Brendan Nunes, for joining us. As we mentioned at the top, the three-man weave, it's reunited. It's here to stay. This has been this edition of Green with Envy. Greg, what are we going to hear on the way out? Y'all know the drill. Black Sheep Optimist, Skywalking. Peace, everybody. How is it that I never seen the stars in your eyes? A glimpse of what I'm missing, think it is a mirage. Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe. But I stay for a minute, cause I'm digging the vibe. I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes. Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe. Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy. You know the one thing different is the state of your mind. I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope. I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float. You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote. But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope. Cause you know that that embodied that's what go with the flow I can sing a different song If I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off When you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't Let's go